the open source creative podcast episode 51 hdri haven and friends with greg zoll this is the open source creative podcast a podcast where i ramble on about creativity process and open source software i'm jason van gumster your host and driver on the road to creative freedom still working on the tagline part of that anyway this time around we get to talk to greg zoll greg runs hdri haven a website that provides high dynamic range images that you can use for 3d scenes image processing image compositing and other fun stuff like that and provides all of that under a cc0 license as a creative commons zero license it's essentially public domain hdris from his site have already been used in all kinds of different things and are in a bunch of other software as well in fact if you're a blender user chances are good that you've already used them and maybe didn't even know that yet Greg's also involved with some other Haven sister sites, uh, Texture Haven and 3D Model Haven, which also use the same basic model. We'll be talking about that as well. Uh, on a show-related ma- matter, um, commenting. I got it working. Finally, I have commenting set up on the site using ISO as the, the comment engine. So I set that up on a, on a virtual private server, and now um, we have comments per episode. I was actually even able to migrate the old Discuss comments over to the the ISO server that I'm running. So you can if you made comments in the past and they're tied to an episode, they're still there. There's only about a thirty about thirty of them or so, but the fact that they're there, kind of awesome, very cool. Um, and and so that's very awesome. And on top of that, I you may have noticed I I have a new better mic relative to last show because last show my I was using a very old mic and I talked about that. But this one's a fancy fancy. It's a Rode Pod mic. In case anybody's curious about that, make sure. Yeah, make sure I was telling you what it was. It's a pod mic. It actually works really, really well, and um, it is, is super heavy. And hopefully, uh, the sound quality is something that you you're, you're amenable to and you like. Um, oh, also, I haven't done an episode in, in in a number of weeks now. Probably two months worth of weeks. Sorry about that. <laughs> in any case, uh, but I have been still doing podcast things in the meantime. Um, I've been regularly showing up to the Linux Lugcast. If you guys aren't aware of Linux Lugcast, it is a Lug, Linux users group, that meets via the web. They've done it for for a long, long time. I've been showing up on and off for, for a while. So I've been going to Linux Lugcast. It's actually a really cool thing where because it's a Linux users group. If you happen to use Linux and you want to talk to other people who use Linux, uh, you can actually go on and join the Mumble server where they where they have a show. It's like the second and third Friday of every month. And you can actually go and just be part of the show. You can listen in live or you could actually talk on it. It's um it's it's it actually is involving real user participation. So if you're if you're if you're down, you should come check it out. Um chats are good. I'll probably be there as well. So be fun. Um the other thing is I've been a guest host on a couple, um, couple, not guest host, but I've been a guesting on a couple of other podcasts. So the survival podcast and floss weekly, I was a, recently a guest on both of those shows in the last two months. And, um, so if you're coming from those shows, hi, welcome to the open source creative podcast. This is, uh, this is kind of how that goes. Me rambling on. Sometimes we have interviews and there's video of me moving my hands all crazy. Like, because that's just the way things work. For those of you who are in audio, I move my hands real crazy. Like, cause you can't see me do that in video. Anyhow, uh, that's, that's that. Let's, we're going to get ourselves over to the interview. One quick note before I do this, I don't really have an interest in sponsored subscription things. So, uh, I pay for my own hosting and time, uh, to produce the show on my own. And, but if you like it and you want to help me cover those costs, I do write books and, uh, I have a few things of merchandise type things for sale on the open source creative 
website. It's opensourcecreative.org. There's a little section there for that. And you can go through and get a t-shirt or a coffee mug or, or those sort of things. And I would be grateful, greatly appreciative of that. Um, if any of that appeals to you, if you, if it doesn't, that's fine too. All right. Well, let's get to this interview. Oh, we're going to toast marshmallows, are we? Could be. All right, everyone. So I have with me here, I have here with me, proper English, uh, Greg Zal. Zal, I'm pronouncing it properly. Close enough. Close enough. I'm going to get it right one day, just not today. Uh, from from HDRI Haven and the whole uh, realm of, of various Havenses. Um, so Greg, can you give us, give us, Give us the general background on, on, on who you are. We'll get to the Havens in, in, in a moment, but Tell, tell folks who you oh, are. Man, that's a complicated story. You know, I, tr- I struggle. Like anytime anybody asks me, like, so what do you do for a living? I'm like, um, so, you know, there's, you know, there's some of this and some of that. And it takes me like 10 minutes just to try and explain everything. Oh, we got I've, been, time. <laughs> I've been around. Uh, I mean, I started using Blender like high school, which for me was like 10 years ago or something like that. Um, and... From there, I kind of just jumped straight into the deep end. I got an internship. I skipped the whole like college university thing. Um, got an internship at a studio, worked there for a while, and slowly realized I kind of just want to do my own thing. I don't particularly like uh, working uh, on like advertising and things like that. Uh, I was keen on getting into film um, or game design, but never really happened. Um, basically, slowly I started working on my own projects. I got a camera, started messing around with HDRIs. I started selling HDRIs, and that worked interestingly. Um, it was it was okay, uh, but like when I was selling HDRIs, I kind of started to feel like uh, there weren't as many people benefiting from my work as I wanted. Like there were, you know, I was like making sales and things, but like what I really enjoyed was when people would show me their renders and things. And that didn't really happen when people would purchase a product and then they'd use it in their, their commercial, whatever. So just to back up for a second, for the people yeah. who listen to this that, that might not know what it is, what, what, what is an HDRI? Good question. All right. So it is basically a 360-degree panorama, exactly like you'd see on Google Street View, where you can look around in all directions, up and down. Um, but the difference is that and HDRI contains all of the lighting information as well in all directions, uh, including if, if you do it properly, like the full brightness of the sun or any light sources and things like that. And the purpose is so that you can basically copy paste the lighting and the reflections from the real world into your scene in Blender or whatever software you're using. Okay. So it's a high dynamic range image is, is the, um, you can, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Got yeah. it. <laughs> cool. So yeah, I was selling these things for a while and I kind of felt like uh, I was, I was happier when people would just show me what they did. And I was, I wanted to see like what would happen if I started releasing these things for free instead of selling them. Um, 
And at the time, like since the beginning, I would always like release the lowest resolution for free, the the 1K size. Uh, and then I decided I would, every Friday, I would release uh, one that was completely for free up to the full resolution. And that was really popular. So I thought, okay, let me take a risk. Uh, at the time, I was living with my parents and I was pretty financially stable. So I was like, all right, if this completely falls over, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to release everything I've got for free. Uh, I'll take the website down for a month so that I don't piss off any like previous customers. Uh, you, you know, you don't want to like buy something and then the next day, like, oh, it's for free now. That was a waste. Right, right. So uh, I had a couple of people who still emailed me about that. But anyway. And yeah, so it's it was a surprising success. It only took about six months for the donations on Patreon to catch up with what I was earning from selling the HDRIs. Uh, which was a big surprise to me, and it's only grown since there, and it's it's working really well. So, let me sort of encapsulate this in in in, in my own dumb way of saying it. So you you had you had a you had a, a small business of of selling high dynamic range images that people would yeah. use in their three D scenes for uh, for basically lighting and covering the environment, and yeah. um, you stopped selling them. And you gave them away for free under a Creative Commons license, um, or is it just public domain? It was it was public domain, so CC zero. Okay. It's technically a Creative Commons license, but it's basically public domain. Okay, so CC zero. So you 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 release it under CC zero, and you within six months you were making as much as previously, and now you're still growing. Yeah, does that cover yeah. all that? Okay. Mm-hmm. That's kind of awesome, right? So, yeah, I mean, that's 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 the poster child for what we talk about in in um, on the you know the, always a question when it comes to Creative Commons, uh, free culture, open source software is well, how do you make all your money? Well, this this this, and it's not just because the the how is is an answer. The question is, yeah, but does that actually make money? <laughs> and, and you know, that's 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 reassuring and, 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 and useful to know because um, there's, there's, there's not enough people, I think sort of taking that, that, that leap that you took and, and, and really sort of, yeah. you, you see like um, you've seen like in the music industry, you'll see like big name artists will do the pay what you want model for, you know, they'll release a song or, or an album or whatever, and, and they'll do pay what you want. Um, and they've experimented with that. And any time that there's been any success there, people says, yeah, but they were already big. They already had it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it's, it's really, really, it's gratifying really to see that um, it, it's not limited to that. It's, it's, it works pretty well. Hmm. Um, I mean, there's some caveats to how, why it was successful for me. Um, okay. And first of all, that's because I was, I could afford to take the risk. Right. Um, but secondly, I live in South Africa, which we ha- our living costs are really, really low compared to like the US and Europe and mm-hmm. most of the rest of the world. Um, so for me, what is like an acceptable income would be very little for somebody in, you know, first world countries. I wouldn't say the, the majority <laughs> of the world because, you know, like populations in India and China and whatever, they also have fairly low uh, living costs compared to Europe and the US. So uh, that was a big reason why... It worked for me. Um, Yeah, there are many reasons (laughs) that I don't fully understand. But (laughs) (laughs) and so now you've you're you've done. There's there's not just HDRI Haven now. There's 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 other Havens. Right. 
Um, so HDRI Haven in its current form, where we're giving away everything for free um, and supported purely by donations, has been around for about three years. I think just over three years. Um, and then about two years ago, I think it was about two years ago, uh, I got in contact with Rob Tootle. Tootle, I'm not really sure how to pronounce his last name. But he was the guy who worked on... Um, on Tears of Steel uh, in the Bender Institute. Um, and he was he has a Udemy course where he teaches like Blender environment creation and he wanted to make a platform to publish his textures and photo scans and things like that. And he hired me briefly to work on that. Um, that didn't last, last particularly long. Uh, we eventually started talking and he was on the same wavelength as me as wanting to release everything for free. Uh, so we started Texture Haven together, and he's he's the driving force behind that whole site. He's producing all of the textures for that. Uh, so that's about two years that's been running. Um, exactly the same model where he creates CC0 textures, releases them for free, and supported by donations. Um, this year, we started 3D Model Haven, which is the same thing, but now we have 3D models as well as textures and HDRIs. Um, it has been a bit less successful for a variety of reasons, but the future is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> we're, I might as well mention now, we're planning to next year merge these three Haven websites into one site okay. um, just to make things simpler for us because the guy who was running the 3D model Haven has left. Um, so I'm kind of taking care of that or supposed to be, but I, I'm struggling to find the time for it. Um, and then Rob is doing the textures and stuff, but he needs a little bit of help with the administration side and like giving patrons their rewards and things like that. Um, so we're going to be combining all of our efforts together and just making one website that does exactly the same thing. Very cool. Uh, now, are all of the assets on HDRI Haven, Texture Haven, 3D, 3D Models Haven, um, are all those those created by by you and Rob? And, and or are they? Do you guys take like submissions for that as well. Okay, so for Texture Haven, everything there is Rob's. Okay. Um, for HDRI Haven, originally everything was mine. Um, and then because like the donations were growing and growing and I started like promising to publish a certain number of HDRIs every month, I, I slowly started to realize I couldn't really keep up with what I was promising. Uh, I could do it, but I have other interests I want to explore as well. I don't want that to be my only thing that I do with my life. Um, so I started uh, hiring some other people to shoot HDRIs for me. And it, it took a bit of time to like teach them my workflow and how to do it properly. Because um, at the time, they were pretty much, I didn't, I couldn't think of like a single person who knew how to shoot HDRIs properly, where like you include the whole dynamic range of the sun and light sources and stuff. Um, so it took a bit of time to teach them, but currently like 80, 90% of all the HDRIs I publish are from other people. Uh, it's mainly a guy, Sergey, who's in Ukraine and Andreas, who's in Germany at the moment. And they, they shoot HDRIs every month that we publish. And I do one, one a month of my own usually. Um, uh, so that's how it's been working for the last year or so, which has been pretty good. 3D model Haven is different. Because how it started was, I, I always knew that it would be more difficult to make it succeed. 
because the amount of effort required to create a 3D model is higher than an HDRI or a texture, depending on the model. Like if you just want to make a teacup or something, it can take you 10 minutes. But if you want to make a whole character or a battleship or a, something like that, it's going to take a long time. Um, and then, but the potential, you know, the, there's theoretically more people who might want to use models than HDRIs. Um, Maybe, but so I knew it would be harder to make it succeed. And the other aspect is that there are already a lot of places to get 3D models like right. TurboSquid and BlendSwap and all these other places. Uh, I don't know of any that does public domain, but not a lot of people care about CC0. Mm. Um, it's an important point for me for the main reason being that basically when somebody downloads it, they don't have to care about the license. They can just do whatever they want. Right. Um, especially big like companies and things they they're more they care more but somebody who's doing it as a hobby they don't care if it's public domain or cc by or even if they just downloaded it from some suspicious website they're just going to use it for fun right, um, right but for me it's a big point so for model haven um i didn't want to start it for a long time it was something people always suggested was uh you know you've got the hdris and the textures why don't you do the models now it makes sense right um so eventually I thought, okay, I'm going to apply for a grant from Epic Games. They have a system called the Mega Grants mm -hmm. where they just have a bunch of money that they want to give away. I think a little while ago they, they gave the Blender Foundation like a million dollars or something crazy like that. Yeah, they've been, they've been throwing into a lot of open source projects between Blender, I think Krita got a, a big chunk of change. All right. Um, I can't remember. There's at, least, there's at least one other big one that I can remember. Yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, I, I applied for a grant and I thought, you know what, I, I might as well ask, um, if we don't get the grant, it probably won't work out. Um, so I asked for, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say, but I asked for a bunch of money and they gave us like less than half of that. Okay. Um, and I thought, you know what, it's probably enough. So I worked with my friend Cameron. We used to do blended tutorials together. Right um, and he was currently, he just finished um, studying animation and game design or something. So it was a, a good time for him to, to work on this project with me. Um, and we kind of, we were planning to create a whole lot of our own assets um, for the site, but for a variety of reasons that didn't really work out. So instead, Cameron uh, approached a whole bunch of other artists on our station and stuff and said, uh, can I give you a whole bunch of money to like give you this asset that we can publish? Um, so that's that's where the majority of our existing content comes from. It's just like buying it off of artists to mm -hmm. allow us to publish it as CC0. Um, and that's, that, that's okay, but I think it didn't work that well because uh, it's not really sustainable with our, our funding method. Right. Uh, we right. can't really afford to do that. Uh, like the 3D Model Haven gets $400 a month which is enough for like one or two assets a month. And that's not really enough to like grow the platform and grow the income to allow us to get more assets and things like that. Um, ideally, Cameron would have carried on working on his own assets to publish on the site, but he ended up finding a job that would actually be able to pay his bills. So <laughs> he went in that direction, which is perfectly understandable. Yeah. Um, for me, I'm lucky enough that I, I have HDRI Haven and I have... Um, so the, some of the smaller projects I run on the side, so I don't have to worry about paying the bills too much, which is extremely, 
freeing, I think is the word. Um, anyway, so the, the reason we're combining the three havens together now is to allow us to more easily distribute like the funding between the three sites because currently all three of them are completely independent. So right. all of the fun, all of the donations we get from HDR Haven are used for like trading HDRs. They go directly to Sergey and Andreas and myself for shooting. Um, Rob does his own thing. I'm not particularly involved in that. And Model Haven can't really afford to do much. Um, so the idea is to reduce, like spend a bit less on HDRIs because we already have like three, 420 or so HDRIs on the wow. site. Um, and, you know, there's only so many different types of clouds and skies and, <laughs> and things that you can shoot. So it's it seems like a good idea to slow that down a bit. We're going to still keep, keep publishing HDRIs, but we're going to take some of that funding and put it into textures and models as well. Um, so basically, I'm starting a, a studio down here in South Africa. I'm going to be hiring a couple of artists and we're going to be working on models and textures together. Um, and that will allow us to create models and textures that more that like live together better. Uh, they're more in the same style, which I think is quite important because currently with the method that we went with of just like approaching random artists and saying, hey, this looks cool. Can I buy it from you? Uh, that gets us some good art, some, some good assets, but everything's kind of disconnected where if somebody finds uh, a particular style of couch on our website and then they want to put that in their scene, then, okay, is there like a double couch? Is there like a coffee table that matches the style? No, there's not. There's just one. Um, so if we can like work on a, like a particular scene and different textures together in one kind of theme, I think that would make a lot more sense. Right on. So, and, and, and I guess that's, 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 Who's in the like the 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 people who 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 purchase models that that that's gonna or not purchase in this case the for three D model haven that download that I mean there's the the use case for that is is um, varied right you have architectural right. I mean, I'm sure architectural visualization uses it a lot yeah. for interior yeah. design and 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 those sort of things um, but yeah you can also see it in in if you're if you're a graphic designer and you need a 3d thing that is a slightly different angle um having that married with textures would be actually really really beneficial um yeah for that kind of thing yeah bouncing back to the hdri thing um mm -hmm. What is what is the 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 workflow used? Just we'll just for the time being, just talk about the shooting side of that. Is it are you just doing bracketed shots, or do you have a specific yeah. type of camera that you use for that, or or how does that work out? Uh, no, you could use pretty much any SLR camera or or mirrorless or whatever. Um, you could technically use your phone depending on the scene. Um, so the the basic workflow is to shoot exposure brackets of different angles to cover the whole 360-degree scene. Um, and the key point for HDRIs in terms of using them for lighting in Blender is to make sure that you capture like the light sources completely, um, which often means using like an ND filter in front of the lens to darken it even further than your camera can allow. Um, like most cameras can go up to like one eight thousandth of a second, which is like an imperceivably short amount of time. Mm. Um, but even that is not nearly dark enough to like shoot the the sun. So that is unclipped. It's still going to be like overexposed and it's going to be like completely white in your image, which is 
what we call clipped. So you put some ND filters in front of the lens to darken it even further. An ND filter is just like a basically uh, like sunglasses for a camera, uh, makes the image really dark. And that allows you to shoot the sun so that you can actually see the, the disk of the sun, a little bit of shading. And if your resolution is high, is high enough, maybe like some sunspots or whatever, that's the theory anyway. Um, and then you do that for the entire 360 degree view, up and down and everything. And then you combine those exposure brackets into HDR files. So then you have like around 30 different HDR files of different angles of your scene. And then you dump that into a stitching program. I use PT GUI and it kind of detects similar areas in the image, in the, in the different images. Uh, if you overlap them by like 30%, then it will find a couple of pixels that match and stitch it together into a panorama. And then you've got an HDRI. How much um, painting to to cover missed stitches do you have to go through doing on that? Uh, none. Really? Yeah. No, you just just shoot everything. <laughs> just <laughs> shoot all directions, and if you think you might have missed something, just shoot it again. It doesn't so, really matter. So you're doing you're doing you said about thirty shots to get yeah um, to get the full three sixty. And how many? steps brackets are you doing uh, up and down so that depends entirely on like the lighting on the scene itself so if you're shooting on like an overcast day you can get you could technically get away with like a single image um, but generally the minimum that i would do is three shots that are spaced by two um, exposure values evs or stops is another mm -hmm. word um, and one ev is like double or half the amount of light so two evs is like quadruple so anyway, three shots separated by two EVs each um, is like the bare minimum uh, that I do on like an overcast day or uh, any kind of interior scene that doesn't have any small bright light sources. Um, but if you're dealing with an outdoor scene, especially if the sun is visible or even indoor, if you have some like really bright lights with like a, a little filament that's a millimeter thick or something like that, it's it's might not emit a lot of light, but it's really, really small. So it's really, really bright in that tiny area. So then you have to shoot, um, most cameras will do five or seven brackets spaced by two EVs or three. Uh, but usually that's not enough for a lot of cases. So then you basically shoot the entire panorama with that, those exposure brackets. And then you would shoot the light source again with another set of exposure brackets um, to get an even wider range just of that area. And then you do some magic in Photoshop or whatever to, to stitch it all together and make sure it's correct. Uh, the challenge is because is, the, the purpose is to copy paste the lighting from the real world into black. Right. So the challenge is to make sure you're staying physically accurate. Um, so your images, your, your whole workflow is like linear. You're not doing any kind of color adjustments or uh, contrast changes or anything like that. How important is having a, a, a fixed starting point? Is that rolling around on a tripod or can you just stand there and sort of move around? Um, I would say it's quite important. You definitely, uh, okay. So some people get away with what they do is they like attach a piece of string and a weight to their camera mm. so they can do it handheld. Um, and then the weight, like they can look, they can put the weight on the floor or like hang it over a piece of paper or something to try and make sure that the camera is in exactly the same place as they shoot. Um, there is a little bit of wiggle room. Um, it makes it's more important the closer things are to the camera. 
So if you're if you're shooting like a wide open field, it's probably not hugely important. But if you're shooting indoors, then the more you move around, even just a couple of centimeters or millimeters, the more the perspective will shift, and that that can end up with some issues in the stitching where things will struggle to align, and you might end up with some seams in different places. Generally, you can hide the seams quite well, um, especially if it's outdoors. Uh, something a lot of people ask me when they they talking about shooting HDRIs is like, what happens when the sky is completely clear? Like, it's just a blue sky. How do you stitch different images that are all just solid blue? There's no clouds or anything. And the truth is you can't, but also it doesn't matter because right. there's nothing in the sky where you would be able to recognize a seam. So if it's like off by 100 pixels or something, it, it doesn't matter because you can't see the seam. I would imagine a windy day would actually be more problematic where where like, it is. the entire sky is moving. Yes, that's a big issue. It's really annoying. <laughs> <laughs> you have so to we're not, like we're not going to expect a lot of HDRIs in a hurricane anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to try. Um I've done some like at the just before a thunderstorm where the the clouds are moving quite a lot. Um and you know the stitching software tries its best, and then it will give you a giant error that says like your your control points are way off from each other. Something seriously wrong, but it kind of looks okay. Uh, but you can always um, you can always export. Uh, there's an option to like export each image, but as it is projected into the panorama separately. So then you can like manually paint in, manually merge them together, and put the scenes where you want them to be, and like blend the clouds together and things like that. It's a lot more work when there's motion involved, but you can work with it. The The fun part is that once you're done, nobody will ever know that it was a problem. So, <laughs> and what, so th since this is the, the open source creative podcast, I do have to ask, um, yeah. one is, is the fir first is, uh, are there tools in the open source um, tool suite that could do this for if someone wanted to do it on their own? And the second one obviously would be the obvious one. Why, why aren't you doing that? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, I use raw therapy, which is an open source raw processing program. I used to use Lightroom, but it gave me issues and it's actually annoying. Um, raw therapy is objectively speaking, if you're, if you're purely in interested in the technical aspects, like if you, if it's a priority for you to remain linear and be in full control over what happens to your image in order to, like most accurately copy paste the lighting into Blender. Um, it's way better than any other software I've used. Um, then once you process the raw files, you get to merge them into HDR images. And I use Blender for that. I've got a script that uses the compositor to like adjust the exposures of each bracket and merge them all together based on which, which part of each image is most best exposed. Um, and I've, I've published that script on my, my GitHub page as well, and some people have used it. I think Sibrin Stubel uh, used to use it a bit. Um, he helped me with some of it as well. So that's all open source so far. The, the only part of my workflow that's not open source is the stitching software, which is PTGUI. Um, and that costs like $170 or something once off for a perpetual license. Uh, there is an open source alternative called Hugin, or Huggin, or some such pronunciation. Yep. Um, and it's all right for stitching regular panoramas. Um, if you're just taking like uh, photos of a landscape and you want to stitch them into a pretty picture, that's cool, it works fine. Um, 
if you want to stitch a 360 degree environment that's not an HDRI, so just a straight up panorama, uh, a low dynamic range image, JPEG or whatever, it also works fine. But when you try to combine that, when you try to make an, an HDR 360 degree panorama, um, it becomes, for me, last time I tested it anyway, which was probably a couple of years ago, uh, it becomes a bit unusable. Like it's extremely slow and the results you get are not very good. Um, and I'm sure that if you had enough time and you cared enough, you could probably get as good results. Um, but from all of the testing that I did, it was it was just worth it for me to to buy the commercial option and save time. Um, and I'm I'm fairly an, an open source advocate, but I'm also like an advocate for spending your time efficiently. <laughs> uh, sure, sure. Um. I just blanked out on what my next question was going to be. Oh, no. uh, <laughs> that's cool. It's totally going to get not cut out at all. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so actually, um, the you had some of the HDRIs from from HDRI oh, man, I can't speak today. Some of the HDRIs from HDRI Haven are now they ship with Blender, right? That's the, yeah. some of the studio lighting that that comes with the Blender two point eight series two point nine. Um, yeah, that yeah. those are those are your images, right? Yeah. I mean, so everything we publish is public domain. So like nobody even has to ask me if they want to do that. They can just dump it in their software. And they have been a, a couple of other programs. I think the AMD Pro Renderer, they, I think, I don't know if they do, but I know they emailed me a long time ago to ask if they could. Um, some Autodesk software, I can't remember what it was, might be uh, Fusion 360. I don't know. There's a couple of different software where they have our stuff included by default. Um, but because it's public domain, you don't even have to ask. That's that's the whole purpose of why we're using CC0 over something like CC BY or anything right. like that, or any of our any like customized license. Um, well, and because that's... Oh, Go ahead. Our, our our whole purpose is like to make things as open as possible. Like uh, one of the big reasons that for a long time Blender was not adopted in the the industry. Like now it's it's pretty big, but like. A couple of years ago, one of the main reasons that Blender was not super adopted in the industry was because third-party tools like render engines and things like that didn't want to get into Blender because of the GPL license where it's open source, that's great, but it also restricts like how you're allowed to use the Blender code. And in some cases, that's a really good thing because it prevents people from abusing the, the open source license. Uh, but it is it is still an inhibition to other companies wanting to get into that that industry and to use Blender for different reasons or uh, to put their cool third-party software into Blender. Um, so for me, it was an important point to make it extremely, like basically free of copyright. And I think that's, I'm not like a copyright lawyer, but basically public domain is the lack of copyright. So right. there are still some, uh, when you're using CC0 instead of public domain, there are some differences um, but basically it's it's free of copyright so people can literally do anything that they want with it if they want to re-upload it to a store and charge for it they can legally speaking right. um, just like people do that for Blender um, and that has happened in some cases the the managers of the store are like that's not really cool of you you know um, and they'll take it down or or they'll just leave it there uh, but that's that's kind of that comes with the territory uh, that's just a a risk that we take. Right on. Well, and, and, and it's really one of those things where um, 
having that, especially when it comes to, to assets and stuff like that, having that reusability is, is, is really beneficial. The, the, the headache of every time, if you wanted to do attribution for yeah. you know, every time it gets used for, for especially a, a what's essentially a background asset or, or, yeah, yeah. or something that, that is the, a contributory asset, um, trying to like flash up, if you're doing it in like in a, in a TV commercial flash up, you know, the background was used for that, you know, that's, you the, can't, can't really <laughs> exactly. Um, like, although the CC by license, there's nothing in it about like preventing use in commercial purposes. Right. Uh, you can't, you can't put like a credit screen at the end of every advert. So, right. So I, what I've seen is, is that sometimes for when you have something CC by whoever is trying to use it, so like, I'm trying to use this in a thing where it doesn't have credits. Can, can you just, can we get like a, a workaround? And that's one of yeah. the things where the, you do have that sort of flexibility with a creative commons license, uh, because public domain, depending on where you live, public domain usually is one of those things that just happens automatically after a period of time. Yeah. Um, CC zero is a means of getting you the status of, of public domain without yeah. necessarily having to wait that long. Yeah. Um, the I mean, caveat you, can... you can still do dual licensing if you felt like it. Sure. Yeah, you can. You can, I think it probably depends on, on the country, but you can just voluntarily dedicate something to the public domain. Uh, you don't have to wait however long. The, the reason that CC0 exists is because in some countries, public domain is not a thing right. or, or there are some limitations to it. Like you're, you have to still maintain liability for your creation. Um, you can't just say, "Hey, this is not my problem anymore." Yeah, some, uh, somebody takes an HDRI with, with with great lighting and goes into a VR environment with proper projection and blinds themselves by looking at the sun. Uh, <laughs> make yourself liable for that. Yeah, exactly. And and there's other things like um, what's like model release forms. Like if you have a a recognizable person in your photo and you publish that online, like you're you can probably get sued for if that person doesn't want their face visible online. Um, so there's, there's still like some legal infrastructure to it, but essentially it's, we don't, we don't want to give anybody any kind of restrictions to how they can use our work, uh, for better or for worse. Well, that would also, I mean, in the case of an HDRI, I mean, you don't see very many HDRIs that involve people simply because yeah, people no, I remove move. them. <laughs> <laughs> people tend to move and they make it complicated and, and yeah, so yeah. you end up shooting in, in an open space though. I mean, I think they're, they're from a lighting perspective there there could be but then again you'd kind of want it to move how is where where is where is hdri technology when it comes to video at this point do you i mean it's hard to bracket and shoot video that's hdri all at once yeah um so you do have cameras that can shoot 360 video obviously um and there are probably some that can shoot 360 video in raw which is technically depending on your definition hdri um, because it's higher than 8-bit, uh, like JPEG or whatever is 8-bit, and then raw video is usually, I'm not sure about video, but raw photo is usually 12 or 14-bit. Um, and each bit is a stop, so it's double the amount of information. So like add a couple of extra bits, and that's the huge amount of information that you've got. Um, so technically, you have raw video, and there's probably 360 raw video. Um, the main the main issue is that for our purposes for for lighting and blender it's super super important to have the lights unclipped uh, if you even miss out like on a little bit of clipping on your sun suddenly that means the sun is no longer like a warm yellow it's it's clipped to completely white uh, so then you're, you're the color of the lighting is wrong and the intensity of the lighting is wrong 
Um, and that makes a really big difference inside Blender if you even miss out on a couple of bits of information. Um, so for any 360 camera that I know, a dedicated 360 camera, they use like fisheye lenses that are super wide angle um, and a couple of them. And you can't really put an ND filter onto oh, those kind of lenses. Right. So you you can't shoot an HDRI that is unclipped if the light source is really bright. You could do it if it's like an overcast day or whatever, no problem. Um, but that's the main issue. There is another option of just using multiple cameras. Uh, that's That would be the way to go if you were seriously trying to do HDR video. It would just be very expensive. <laughs> yeah, like like at least six different SLR cameras in a, in a small little bundle with ND filters on them. Or... And they haven't gotten much lighter over the years, trying to have a no, like really. ball of HDR of uh, SLRs. <laughs> yeah. Every now and then there's a company that's like, all right, we're going to release a, a brand new mirrorless camera that's like super lightweight. And then the lenses that you get for it are just as big. And then the next generation of camera, they're like trying to improve it and it just gets bigger and heavier. And they, you know, now they're defeating the whole purpose. Um, but one of the things I want to do in the future is to make HDRIs from a drone, which oh, would okay. be super cool. Uh, like one of the, I mean, apart from just being super cool, um, one of the, the main reasons, uh, the main uses for HDRIs is to get like the sky and the weather and things like that, which means you need, you don't want to have any like trees or buildings nearby to, you want to be like in a flat open field. Uh, and that's actually really difficult to find. Um, so one workaround for that would be just to get above the trees and the buildings. Uh, that could work really well. That's what I want to try. The... Does, that, does that change the perspective? When you pull that into a 3D scene, be it in Blender yeah. or whatever, does that change the the horizon line? Or is, that, uh, or is the aspect probably not enough away that it doesn't matter? It's probably not the horizon line itself. Uh, obviously, it will, it'll look like you're floating in, in the sky, like a, a bird or a plane or something. Uh, so I don't think people would really be interested in using that for backgrounds, but mm -hmm. mainly just for like the sky, the weather and things like that, different, uh, different types of sunsets and whatever. Um, yeah, nobody would like try to put a, a car or a character in, into that environment because it would it'd just look like they're floating in space. So I want to try that. The, the challenge is... Uh, mainly a, a weight issue, I think, like getting a drone to fly mm. up uh, a bundle of SLRs that can just take an <laughs> HDRI remotely. I don't. It, it requires some research to figure out how that's going to work. There's a bit of engineering, I think, that's involved yeah. in that one. Yeah, because exactly. trying to get the 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 quadcopter to sort of steadily do that rotation in place, yeah, is going to yeah. be um, that's not trivial. <laughs> no, exactly. I think it's possible. It just it just needs some dedicated time to figure it out. Right, right. Well, that'd be cool. I'll, I'll keep a keep an eye out to see if that if that actually happens. Yeah, uh, and how that happens because if, if it, it will, just how <laughs> someday. Uh, yeah, someday, no problem. So when when it comes to using an HDR, since we're since we're talking about the making of them and and, and producing them and stuff like, there's there's there are opinions about the proper way to use. Uh, HDRIs for for environments. Do you use a lamp? Do you not use a lamp in addition to it? Um, you know, how do you right. tweak out your lighting source? Um, what's your what's your recommendation on that? How how do you suggest people use your HDRIs? So for our HDRIs, um, for any HDRI that has uh, been shot in a way and processed in a way that has basically copy pasted the lighting from the real world perfectly. Um, 
where the light sources are are unclipped and the colors are correct and stuff like that. All you have to do is use the image as your environment background. And if your render engine supports it, it'll just emit light perfectly fine from, from the sun or whatever. And that's, that's the correct way to do it. Um, but a lot of HDRIs online are not Un, are not unclipped, so the they, the photographer didn't like capture the full brightness of the sun because it's a really hard thing to do. You need specific hardware. Mm. Um, so for those, the HDRI itself is missing information, like it's missing light from the light source. So that's where you would need to add in your own sun lamp or whatever. Um, obviously, you have to first check like is is the sun in this HDRI clipped or not, and if it is, then you have to add your own sunlight in the same place with the same direction um, and checking and, is just by basically looking at the sun and, and just doing levels on it or yeah yeah so you you would take it into photo or what's the creator i guess creator works um gimp actually works pretty well yeah, yeah so you would reduce the exposure of the image you get it in blender too but blender's not really meant for this kind of thing uh, you reduce the exposure of the image um as far as you can and you look at the light source so if, if say the sun if you start to see like the the sun becoming gray, like it becomes a solid patch of gray, mm. uh, where it doesn't look natural. It, it looks like it's been overexposed, um, and you're now darkening it, and you get this like weird gray blob where the sun is supposed to be. Then it's clipped. Um, it it can be more subtle than that. Uh, it can be slightly colored, especially if it's some really colorful light source like uh, LED strips or. Uh, tungsten lamp or something like that but basically if there's if there's an area even a couple of pixels that is a solid color usually gray then it's clipped mm -hmm. but if you can reduce the brightness and keep going until you can see the sun as as it is with like shading inside the disk itself um, and keep going and it still looks natural then then it's unclipped um, i've got an article that i guess you could link to in the show notes that explains how to look for this um, sure. and yeah, what, yeah. what difference because uh, it can be subtle. Like if you have some tungsten lights, you could have like one or two pixels clipped inside the filament of the light. Um, and that changes the, the, it can be dramatic, even a couple of pixels, but it can also be quite subtle where like just the color of the lighting is off. And then the highlights of the, the reflections of that light source on your 3D model can be like more dull and discolored. Um, so it can be subtle. It's hard to look for. And so the other the other question related to that is that if you do happen to have um, one of these these HDRIs that that have insufficient lighting information specifically to the yeah. to the lighting source, what's the what's the I mean other than sort of just eyeballing it, what's the easiest way to to sort of match the angle of the light source um, with um, with your light object? I don't know, <laughs> <laughs> but. What I would do is I would just take one of my own HDRIs and just copy paste the sun and a bit of the sky around it into that other image and then like eyeball the exposures to match each other and then blend them together. So then I have like a correct sun. So you still, so just mean, basically maintain the, the, the image based lighting workflow yeah. and, and don't even worry about throwing an extra lamp in the scene. That's, yeah. that's cool. So this is, this is purely talking about path traced engines like cycles. Um, right. Because that's that's super important because it will get the lighting from the image itself. If you're dealing in real time with EV or game engines or anything like that, they don't do 
path traced image based lighting. They might do like path traced reflections and stuff, mm. uh, but they don't do that for the environment. So in those cases, you would usually need to add your own lamp. Um, and I've done some work for uh, some big big studios, some big um, game studios where they really care about getting the the accurate lighting from an HDRI into the game engine. And then what they would have me do is take a light meter and a color chart with me on a shoot and then uh, shoot the HDRI as it is, like as I usually do, unclipped and everything. Um, and then take measurements of the, the intensity of the light on the color chart um, okay. in direct sunlight and in the shade. So by, by covering it and then doing the measurement. And then that allows them to like calculate what is the, the contribution of the sun in this HDRI. And then they can paint out the sun completely and add the sun back in in their cool. engine. And, nice. and then they have the measurements to make sure it like matches correctly. Oh, that's uh, pretty cool. Okay. That works really well. It's just so, a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. Uh, so we're, we're getting close to wrapping up. Um, cool. Where, besides, well, I mean, HDRI, HDRI Haven dot com. com. Yeah. Always get the, the last TLD on that one. So HDRI Haven dot com is where you can go to HDRI Haven, and there are links from there to the other havens. And um, yeah. beyond that, where can people find you on the web? Um, I guess Twitter and uh, Twitter is pretty much the only thing I use is Gregzal, one word. Um, I'm on GitHub as well, and you can follow along my work on the websites if you really care. Um, we have a, a Discord server for the Haven websites. It's it's linked on the website as well, so you can find it there, and that's where our community mostly interacts, and we, we talk about all the things that we're, we're planning to work on. Currently, we're having a, a big debate about the, the new logo design for the new website, Polyhaven, which will be the three merged into one. So nice. It's useful. So is that, a, is that a public debate, or is that just yeah. sort of... Yeah? Yeah. That, yeah. That'd be fun to see. And we have some sections that are like private to, to patrons and stuff, but most of what we do is, is public. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, um, definitely worth taking a look at that. Um, cool. cool. And the last one is, are there, are there any questions that I haven't asked that you really wish that I would have asked so that I can ask them now? <laughs> um. Nope. Not that I can think of. Cool. Yay! I'll be. I'll, I'll consider myself thorough this time around. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, Greg, thanks a bunch for for agreeing yeah. to to be on the show. Um, it's great to have you and everyone. Check out check out HDRI Haven. You can use it for three D stuff, or if you just need image environments of cool stuff and chop it up and put it as a background for your desktop, because sometimes people still do that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's a great way of doing it as well. Cool. Thanks All right. a lot. Thank you. And that's our talk. Thanks a lot to Greg for agreeing to be a guest. For me, like I said during the talk, it's it's really cool to see that it's possible to actually make a living with open content. And it seems making a better living, leaving, making a better living than what was made when the content was closed, which yeah, Greg pointed out that there, that his geography and his personal situation matter in that situation, in that case, but maybe you're in a different unique position where open content can also work for you as well. There's never just one way to do things, right? There's always multiple ways and multiple, multiple avenues to attack a particular um, scenario and, and make things work. So the point is that the, the the model of free and open source content, free and open source software, it does work. It is sustainable, and there 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 are ways of of handling that that are are very good. And um, you know, it's 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 not something that people should be doubting anymore. But if there are, we have examples to to show otherwise, both in the software and on the content world. So boom, there we go. In any case, what parts did you find interesting? What parts do you want to talk about? Um, 
Let me know. You can comment on the episode in episode 51 because I actually have comments again. Yay! And just go on opensourcecreative.org, look for episode 51, and you can make a comment there. And as always, you can also track me down on your favorite social media site. Just look for Monster Java Guns. Monster Java Guns, because that's easier to spell than my actual name. And then you can tell me what you think there. I also happen to have an email newsletter. Signing up for that is easy as going to opensourcecreative.org and going to the little contact page there and clickety clacketing from there, and we can, uh, we can have a good old time doing the mailing list thing. All right. Feels good. Let's do this. Now it's time to get back to work. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's going in nice. the end. Not taking.